The world isn't simple anymore. And on the Walden Pond podcast, your host, anti-fraud expert Vince Walden, is talking to experts about the technology and compliance trends you need to know about to keep your compliance and fraud detection programs relevant. If you're looking for insights that are practical, timely, and innovative, welcome to The Pond. Well, welcome to The Walden Pond. I'm here with Henry Dicker and e-discovery legend and the architect and ringmaster, as many of you know, from legal tech nearly two decades ago. Henry is currently the president of Franklin Data, a data privacy and forensic service consultancy firm. Uh, Hello, Henry. Glad you're on. Hello, Vince, and hello to your audience. What a pleasure to be with you today. You know, Vince, I, I was I was going back in my Wayback Machine. It's been <laughs> over 10 years since you and I spoke together in an academic fashion. It was at Litigation Summit in Washington, D.C., and if memory serves me correctly, you were absolutely brilliant, and I was appropriately booed off the stage. So, Let's uh, let's see if we can replicate that. Let's see if now, we can get you brilliant and me and me basically sequestered to the back row once more. No, my job is to just uh, just to extract brilliancy out of you. So uh, oh, it's all you today, man. <laughs> That's a big task. So, well, today's theme is uh, proactive versus reactive. And what are the ROI considerations that chief compliance officers and in-house counsel need to consider to stay ahead. Um, but first, of course, because you and I are picture us floating on our rafts on the Walden Pond, it's time to link in a little bit of Thoreau, which is what I always like to start out with, um, and finding something relevant on the topic. Uh, and that's, I'll read a little bit of Thoreau, and then I'd like to hear, going back to a little bit of your background and what you're doing now, and then we'll get into the uh, podcast. But here's what Thoreau says about being proactive versus reactive. Quote, unquote, If you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. But now put the foundations under them. 150 years ago, was Henry Thoreau thinking about cloud computing or what? I don't know. That's very poignant. Deep thought. Deep thought. It is deep thought. Too deep. (laughs) Too deep for me, that's for sure. But but absolutely brilliant in his uh, in his foreshadowing. He, yeah, he's the Richard Susskind of his time. That's right. It's funny. Well, so before I w- I want to talk about legal tech days, but before we go into that, what are you doing now? Oh well, gosh. So uh, you had mentioned earlier. You know, a lot of people will rem- remember me not from two decades ago. Uh, from legal tech. God knows I am old. No, you're an old guy like me. Not, not an old like you, but yeah, but for, I, I was fortunate enough for, for 20 years um, uh, to be able to help ALM uh, with legal tech. But since then, um, and that was, I, I left legal tech five years ago. I've been with, uh, I joined Matt Blake and the awesome team of professionals at a group called Franklin Data. Um, these people, they, they're known within the industry. They earn their stripes on, uh, on being those behind the largest matters in uh, current history. They, they were the lead on the Daimler Chrysler FCPA conviction. They were the lead on uh, BP oil for food litigation. These are tremendous, tremendous matters that, that, that basically uh, formulated what we, how we do and collect and preserve today. But uh, you know, like all 
like law firms, we uh, we morphed. And so today we continue, though we continue to partner with law firms and legal departments on issues of data and litigation projects, so on, we are heavily skewed now towards issues concerning data privacy, regulatory, and compliance. So um, GDPR, um, yep. California Consumer Privacy Act, CCPA, New York's unfortunately less impressive 23.9 NYCRR 500. Um, and as a real side note, and this just happened yesterday. So the, the CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, is major and, and groundbreaking. And really, you know, you can see a lot of GDPR in its DNA. Well, New York um, was, was putting forward an, a, a more aggressive called NYPA, New York uh, uh, C Consumer Privacy Act. And unfortunately, um, it, uh, it stalled in legislation two days ago, and now it's unfortunately presumed de- uh, dead. But So we, we, we do a lot of consultancy advisory and actually now work with end-to-end um, cybersecurity and, and, uh, and consultancy. So exciting stuff. Interesting. Yeah, cool. Well, you know, for all of us, um, the, the the discovery folks, um, and pretty much everybody in the audience is, who has gone through e-discovery or an investigation uh, where, you know, electronic evidence was preserved. Um, you know, let's reflect back real quick on the ALM legal tech days. I mean, oh. you think about the heydays of e-discovery, take me back in the late 90s, uh, into the 2000s, 2010 and today, it sounded like it seemed to me like every almost every decade there was a big shift, um, and where we are today, and then we'll kind of focus on today. But take us back into the legal days, legal the tech wild, days back the in the wild, wild west of legal tech. I'll tell you, a, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the audience who know me will remember that you know for 19 years I was in a perpetual fog of caffeine, cigar smoke, and pork products. So it's hard for me to remember all that. Sort of like the you know, Studio 54 of its of its days. <laughs> but honestly, uh, it was a real privilege um, working for those 19 years uh, uh, with ALM on an awful lot of pro- projects. Legal tech always overshadowed a lot of what, uh, AL, what I did at ALM um, and what ALM did ultimately through my, my team. But legal tech was, was amazing. You know, um, the, 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 if you can imagine, you know, 20 years ago at the emergence of e-discovery, someone like me being able to, to work side by side with names like uh, the Honorable Shira Shinlin, the Honorable Andrew Peck, guys like George Sosha and Thomas Gelpin, these are, these are bellwethers. These are, these are people whose ideals are now the very DNA of what we do in a day-to-day basis, whether it's, you know, whether it's e-discovery or cybersecurity, they, they laid the groundwork for it. So, uh, uh, so those years, you know, back in those days, legal tech was the pulpit for preaching the gospel of e-discovery. And let's face it, you know, our flock was thirsty and vast. I mean, we were doing legal techs all over the globe. Uh, people, some of our, our our listeners will remember when we actually used to do two legal texts per year. You know, the main, obviously, the 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 you know the the 
let's call it the, the bellwether in January, but we did a September fall event that was fantastically successful for many, many years. Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, London, Hong Kong, Canada, New Orleans. That's a story into itself. That 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 was more of a that was more of a, a Bourbon Street uh, uh, free for all than than a. That than sounds like a boondoggle. <laughs> oh, it was everybody. It, it was it was so good and so bad at the same point in time that people wanted to do it again and again and again. So <laughs> it really was a good time. So Legal Tech was, you know, it was like the circuits coming to town. And uh, and uh, but you know, uh, on the serious side, you 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 say what was the uh, what was most memorable and most fun. I I I don't know if. If everybody will remember this, but, uh, you know, as I said, legal tech was, I mean, it, to ALM, uh, it was a commodity. We, we were, I never made any bones about the fact that legal tech ultimately was a revenue generator for us. But in the end, legal tech, because of its people, because of the sponsors and because of the uh, vendors, and because of the attendees, because of the associations, it really was a, a community. And I guess if I, had to, if I had to reflect on it, what I'm most proud about is um, it's almost timely to even speak about this because earlier this week, we all as Americans observed the remembrance of the incredible tragedy that unfolded on 9-11, you know, some 18 years ago. And as I said, few of us will remember the the September uh, legal tech shows, and we there had a show scheduled, booked, you know, thousands of people coming on September twenty second of that year. Uh, I mean, and at our usual haunt, the the Hilton Hotel in New York, you know, clearly this was a difficult time for all. Uh, even at ALM, we were we were greet we were feeling. Uh, the grief that's being directly affected. I think some of you may remember the incredible images uh, taken by Monica Bay as she literally ran out of our offices on Park Avenue to run down to Ground Zero. I mean, amazing stuff. So anyways, my my team and I set out the communication and it had been decided that we were going to cancel the event. It didn't seem appropriate. And, you know, very quickly, we were getting phone calls and responses, you know, supported the decision. Thanks for doing this. People didn't want to travel. Everybody was afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. However, there was one call. There was one conversation that I had with a great, great friend of myself, a friend to people who are listening to this podcast, a friend to the industry. And I'm speaking of uh, the late, wonderful Ross Codner. And Ross got me on the phone and he he implored me to reconsider this decision. And he, he began to lay out this plan for taking this, this, this tragedy and trying to retool it into a socially responsible event uh, to make it into a platform of support and healing. Let's face it, a lot of uh, our industry is based in New York and a lot of those, you know, Law firms, legal departments, um, um, uh, individuals, clients—they were terribly affected by what was going on. So um, he, he had this vision to allow our industry to come together to provide manpower and consultative services, uh, aid to those firms, legal departments, clients that were facing operational and emotion—the emotional aftermath. And you know what? He made a great uh, he made a, a a great plea, and with the help 
uh, of his leadership, uh, uh, leadership of people like Andy Atkins and Monica Bay, um, all, every single exhibitor, um, um, uh, all of these great consultants that, that help our industry. Uh, obviously, our association partners like ILTA, who then were, of course, called peer-to-peer, uh, the ABA, uh, RMA, risk management, we, we built, in days, we built something called, we changed legal tech into the legal, legal tech triage. And this was an event that was brought together to help everyone uh, um, uh, seeking help, right? Through the generosity of this community, of these people, of, of the, the people of legal tech, the incredible people of legal tech. And I speak everybody of everybody. Um, uh, it all came together. And as Ross said, you know, uh, kind of glibly, the show must go on and, and you know what? And, and it did. And it was a real, a real success. No, that's, that's so cool. Taking us back, back in that, that hard time. It, I remember me, that year. Honestly, I'm sitting here. I, I have goosebumps. Because <laughs> he was, you know, on the show, the show did go on. Um, you know, it's interesting when I think about the legal tech, I remember, you know, being at, you know, a, um, I was with a, another a big four accounting firm at the time. And if you weren't at legal tech, you didn't exist. If you were not in the industry, if you weren't at legal tech. Yeah. Vince, industry. listen, you're, you're a young guy. I can remember your mom pushing you in a stroller up and down the aisles of legal tech. Yeah. And grabbing all the free tchotchkes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And, well, and again, you know, if I take it back, you know, historically and tell me if you think I'm correct here, you know, I remember it in the, in the early or late, I'll say late nineties, it was all about search, you know, Boolean search. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and how, how much, how fast, how deep you could search, but it was still in the Boolean world. And then it, then it got into the, you know, the whole thing around, um, well, I'll say visual, but then it was all around, um, you know, well, my jumping ahead predictive coding or my skipping one, but I remember predictive coding was, the big thing or you know, no, no, I think you, I think you have your timeline right here right predictive yeah. coding and then tar hey and listen technology but, assisted review yeah. exactly so so the you know I, we're, we have other fish to fry on this on this on this podcast but I will say this one thing um, the advent of all those things that you're talking about e-discovery and tar predictive yep. coding it allowed who were who were part of the industry for an awful long time uh, in a different capacity to basically change themselves to look at what then wasn't even known as disruptive technology it wasn't it wasn't given that that moniker it wasn't tagged that yeah but they saw and so you had you know we used to make fun of oh you know they were a copy house and now all of a sudden they're a new discovery house well Everybody. let me tell you something right um they didn't take that. They, it, they they may have take taken the leap because they saw a need to do it, and you know what they learned as they went. But holy cow, they learned really, really well. And some of the great e-discovery companies all have a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, old time bullying behind them. Yeah. So um, let's not forget that uh, the only thing that that is inevitable is change, and everybody changes. And, and in most cases, and in this case, you know, change was for the better. It helped transform a lot of companies to be able to give what the, our professionals, com- people who we're going to be talking about today, what they need in order to be successful. And God knows what they need to be able to be 
um, compliant. Yeah, well, I think that's, you know, that brings us to the present. I mean, think about all those changes. And now where e-discovery has evolved and it's now, and again, I think the processing and review are more commodity items. It's more to the left of the, the electronic discovery reference model. So tell me, you know, what do you think are on the minds when you think about chief compliance officers, who's the audience, and of course, the legal professionals uh, today with respect to technology, what are they thinking about? Well, um, I'll tell you what I think they should be thinking or should, about. Or, yeah, should be thinking about. Uh, but let's face it, you know, you just, you just spoke about it. Um, whether we're talking about e-discovery, privacy, anything, the main issue will always be preservation of data. Mm. And, uh, you know, whether that data is proprietary, whether it's your clients, whether it's evidentiary, preservation is, is, at the, is, at, is at the crux of data. But again, no corporation, no legal entity, no trusted advisor can manage the vast amount of data uh, without decent technology. So you ask, you know, what the, that's what should keep keeping our, our fellow CCOs up at night. I mean, God knows they probably have 10 other things. But seriously, uh, the best systems, uh, technolo- uh, uh, systems and technology available quickly become regulatory expectations, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and firms, uh, the, very, very easy. Um, and we'll talk about this later, how they can be left behind for whatever, whatever constraints, whether it's just, you know, being proactive or whether it's just what, what they have as far as research. But let's face it, you can't use Excel spreadsheets if there's something else in the market that's yeah. better, right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I mean, and, I think, um, who you may not want, to? you may want, you may not, right, go ahead. Oh, I'm what sorry, I didn't mean to say? talk over you, but yeah, like who should, you know, CCOs, they're obviously not technology experts and uh, they need to be proactive in getting ahead of understanding their location and knowing their data. Um, who should they be listening to? Well, that's in the organization or outside the organization. Vince takes a village. Yeah. Just to, to, to go back just one step. Yeah. So you, you, you talk about technology and who, and who, and, and who they should be listening to. You, you know, you never, you don't want to ever log behind anybody. And obviously the bottom line, uh, if the data, the government and the regular and the regulatory regulators, they'll, they'll expect you to be using this data, but they'll be expecting you to protect it. Right. So that's, yeah. that's, that's the bottom line right now with with what's going on, obviously, with GDPR and, and California. Um, but who, who should they be listening to? Well, I said, I, I, as I said, it, it takes a village. Um, the one thing is certain: the the in all of this, especially if you look at if again to go back to GDPR. I'm sorry that we keep regurgitating it, but it 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 really, you know. It really is the impetus, uh, or I would say it's a catalyst for everything else that's going on here in, in the U.S., and, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. But the, the ever-increasing role and attention that is given to ISO, uh, uh, the information officer, uh, and the chief privacy officer is getting, I mean, you, yep. you look at the mandate in GDPR, and they are... They're, they're there. That's one of the, that's one of the gates that you got to hit. 
So the short answer, so obviously them, you know, obviously uh, uh, chief compliance officers and, and CISOs are, are definitely uh, have to develop this relationship. You know, they need to, so, but, but I would say that, and a lot of companies are doing this, so I'm not, I'm not being the Nostradamus here, but convene the committee that utilizes all of the resources that you talked about, the CISO, the CIO, the legal, the CFO, all, uh, even your third party, convene this community. You know, I often tell my clients, if you can, if you can, you know, get one of the board members to be a champion and to sit on this committee, that is a starting point. That is the best place to start because no one person, I mean, I, I feel like I'm just, I'm just spouting, you know, things that, that are a statement of the obvious, right? But, but no one can do it on their own and no one should believe that they have to do it on their own. And, and you know what, uh, you know, chief compliance officers out there in the world, you're, you're, you're incredible minds. You are, perfectly um, opinionated for the roles that you fit in. Just take the bull by the horns. You probably already have, but reinforcing it, get your group together. Let all those professionals who are, who all have core competencies in areas that you don't and just let them roll with you. I think that at the end of the day, it's going to protect. Yeah. I think that what you're, that, that main point of if you're a CCO trying to do this on your own, no. Or if, if you're letting the CISO do it on their own. Oh, God forbid. You just, you just, it's not a solo exercise. It's not one department's exercise. It's a, well, you can't. Most it, of us learn, you know. That's key. Rely on the, be the Blanche Dubois yeah. of, of, you know, always relying on the kindness of strangers. Yeah. Really yeah. Well, listen, we're just about out of time, but I, I are you kidding me? I know. I know it goes quick, but I do want to ask you one more question. You know, as I think about the industry, um, and what technologies or innovations are you kind of interested in, or what are you seeing that's that's interesting? All right, all right. Even though we're out of time, one more thing on getting this the the, the, oh, the yeah. best reason to get this group together, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, you need to when you get this committee together, right? You need to ask yeah. them each the three things that you should be asking yourself as a chief compliance officer. Oh yeah, sure. Go, right? go for it. All right. Just real, real quick. Uh, what do they believe is the greatest regulatory risk facing the company? What do they believe the greatest business risk facing the company? And then what do they believe is the greatest geographic risk facing mm. the company? Right. Yeah. And yep. then you treat that, you treat those questions like a, like a math or a, a statistic calculation, take the sum of all their answers. You then align them with, your answers to the same question, take all that information, you know, dedupe it, yeah. uh, uh, re-aggregate it, and now you have the starting point for for what we're where for, you should be going. What, right. For what we're those doing. are three, okay. those are good three questions. I agree. All right. All right. So okay. So I know we're 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 pressed here. So I'll go to your your question. You're asking about what do I see that's most exciting out there? Well. Uh, fortunately, you don't have to rely on me to tell you what's exciting. Um, but I've been listening, have always listened to some really smart people out there. Um, going back to my legal tech days, Richard Susskind was my very, very first keynote, my very first legal tech show. Uh, 
brilliant, brilliant guy out of the UK, a futurist. You know, the stuff that he said, he, he's like, uh, you know, he's like the Thoreau of his time we spoke about. The things that he said 10 or 15 years ago are coming into fruition right now. Um, Brad Blickstein, oh. also a real, real smart guy. Uh, and uh, and someone that I'm very very uh, honored and proud to say is a good friend. Um, but what's on everybody? Listen, AI, right? Whether it's AI belief or AI in fallacy, AI is something that's down there. And and, and you know you you hear about um, AI fallacy, right? The lawyers worrying that AI is going to take my job, and uh, you know what am I supposed to be doing? Well, um, uh, uh, it's it. it AI does not replicate what a lawyer does, right? It has a problem that needs solving and it finds a machine-like way of solving it. So if you're a lawyer out there and you're worried about AI taking your job, that's not going to happen. Not certainly in any of our lifetimes. We don't have to worry about that. So uh, embrace it. See what's – take it. Take it as something that's that's not an if, but a when, as it gets more and more involved. And I think we'll see it. We'll see it run, and we already have seeing it embedding itself in almost everything that we do. Um, I talked about Richard Susskind. He's been talking about online, online, the advent of online courts for years. Global justice Mm -hmm. handled via technology. Right? Uh, There are two sides here. Uh, There are the believers in that and there are the naysayers and it's always been my opinion it's always been my estimation that when you have two groups that feel so strongly either way that um at some point in time those opposing the opposing vocals will come together and something will come out about it it may not be a horse but as they say put a committee Mm -hmm. together and it could look like like a camel right (laughs) ultimately the aim is to streamline existing legal proceedings and to make all legal services accessible. And with the overreaching a deal, obviously, that justice for all. Yeah. That's the guiding principle. Yeah. Right? Blockchain, um, you know, there are lawyers like David Reedy over at McGuire Woods, there's stalwarts in this, right? Uh, uh, securing the immutable and uh, trans- transparent nature of blockchain will eventually allow attorneys to record, authenticate all types of legal matters. Uh, ledger-based activity, property records, um, fund transfers, uh, even legal opinions. So, uh, you know, they have been a smart contracts um, uh, that are, you know, can store and authenticate and trace signature in blockchain, something to, to, to look for. Yeah, keep and your eye on blockchain last, for sure. You know, yeah. And last but not least, and this is something that's been, listen, contract and case management tools have been around for an awful long time. And there are a lot of people uh, that do it very, very well. But now, with the advent of AI, I might say, I might add, they're becoming fully integrated, comprehensive, I mean, serious comprehensive dashboards. I, I, I uh, was privy uh, early to a podcast that you did with um, Anil Kona, uh, a vertical discovery, right? Uh, his company is built... Um, uh, uh, a product that allows firms, clients to manage the entire life cycle. I mean, dock it to decision and, and everything in between, um, you know, wadiering everything. I mean, it, it's really, I, I think that we're going to see the next generation of, of case management tools coming to 
coming to light. And there are a lot of great there are a lot of great companies uh, out there making incredible inroads. So, that's so what let, I me, tell you. let me recap. And the, the future is obviously AI. Don't be afraid. It's just going to help you make better decisions. Right. The, the online court and more accessible information. Um, yeah, I agree. Blockchain and security, you know, people, it, the applications are going to continue to evolve. But I think, you know, to me, blockchain is just really, really, really good security. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, with, in, an, you know, anonymous features. And then, and these contract management tools, I think that integration theme is key. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, what's old is new again. It's almost like, you know, bell bottoms. Yeah, bell bottoms. <laughs> coming back. But they're coming back. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and as you said, AI, you know, don't be afraid. Hal's not going to close the pod door on you. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's gonna, it, it is a tool that will make life, not only life easier, I hate to say life easier because that's really not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to make our profession better at what it does and to allow us the ability to safeguard our client, what, no matter what side of the V they're on. Yeah. So, Cool. So it's too bad we didn't even get to talk about we didn't get to talk about cybersecurity too much, but maybe we can do that next. Yeah, time. well, we'll make that a separate podcast. I think for I sure. A, I got a great I got a great story about money supposing supposed to get somewhere for a settlement, and oh, believe it or not, it didn't get there. Can't oh. Count takeovers. Well, go figure. Yeah, let's 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 do a separate. We'll we'll definitely do a separate podcast on cyber because that is a definite hot topic. But uh, we are out of time on this because again, I want to keep it within people's uh, commute to the office yep. in terms of time frame. So thank you, Henry, for joining the pond. I loved and, it. Um, we'll continue. We'll invite you back next time. All right, I'll bring thank my uh, I'll, bring, I'll bring my speedo. All right, bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Walden Pond Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review.